Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. My name is Dave Denniston, and welcome back, my friends, to the latest episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Well, here today, various folks that I talk to follow Robert Kiyosaki and the Rich Dad Poor Dad and the seminars, and I know many of you, many physicians are interested. So we're going to spend some time digging into that a little bit today. Our next guest, he is a lifelong entrepreneur. Started his first business at age 11. So he's been doing this for a little while. He's the owner of an eight-figure real estate empire. He is a multiple black belter, and he is a sought-after financial consultant. Now, what is interesting about this guy, he had originally built a $5 million net worth in his 20s, and then he lost it. So I want to know more about that. We're going to dig into that here a little bit. And now I am told he's actually completely rebuilt that in the last 12 months. So that is really interesting. We're going to dig into that. And I'm told he he loves sharing lessons and, and things he learned, something that he wished someone else had told him, which I think for many of our young physicians, that's going to be incredibly valuable. Please help me welcome Damian Lupo of Total Control Financial. Welcome, Damian. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me, man. It's great to be here. Hey, glad to have you, my friend. Well, I would just love to know about your journey. I, I gave a little bit of a thumbnail sketch here in, in the intro, so tell us about that. W- what do you do? How did you get started? Yeah, so but my my journey started really back back in Alaska when I was. You'd mentioned my first business at eleven. Started up a Nintendo buying and selling business simply because I was solving a problem. I wanted to play video games, and I didn't have any money. Parents didn't have any money, so I found a way to support my habit. And I think that's a lot of how entrepreneurs go about and go into the world. We find problems and we solve them. This happened to be my problem, but it was also other people's problem. And and it started there. And then I, after after high school, I went out and I, I went to college, did that that normal route. But I kept starting businesses in my dorm rooms. And eventually, one of the the deans at one of the colleges said, "You can't do your your business anymore because you're putting our bookstore out of business." <laughs> and I just I, I said, "Well, um, yeah, but I'm paying for school." And so he he said, "Well, you can either do that or leave." And, and basically, I I paid wow. for school in a few days and then left and realized I. I my mind was that of an entrepreneur. I needed to go out and create things and be able to execute a vision. So that led me into the real estate world where I spent uh, about a decade building a real estate empire. And it was it was based on a lot of Robert Kiyosaki ideology and the alternative methods, the alternative thinking, going out to a lot of seminars. I spent about a million dollars on seminars and coaches and books and tapes and things while I was building this thing mm. up which was, it's important and it's what people are doing now. They're listening to to us talking about these ideas and that's what I was doing. I, I, I veered away from traditional academic stuff because I wanted to create wealth and academic stuff doesn't typically get you wealthy. It, it can create a lifestyle and I wanted something bigger and that, that led to the, the, um, the $20 million portfolio of real estate and the journey where I built that and then blew it up. Wow, is that something? So I gotta ask, what was the video game that you really wanted when you were 11 that you had to start your own business to buy? I, 
I'm pretty sure it was The Legend of Zelda, and apparently there's this new yes. one that's coming out, and I'm laughing about it because it's retro now. It's it's like the cool new old thing, and I'm going, wow, am I that old? Oh, my goodness. Was it was it the regular Nintendo or the Super Nintendo? Which which one was it? I am old school. It was the regular, the original Nintendo. It was just those the really clunky games that apparently now are really valuable, but, yeah, it was the original one. <laughs> my wife and I had, until uh, a few years ago, had the power pad. That we oh did my the track gosh, and field yeah. on, on the old school Nintendo. Those, <laughs> those were the days. Well, um, so what was the business you did at Eleven? What what was that that you started out with? Well, so I was I was basically buying and selling Nintendo games. I was buying them wholesale and selling them retail, and hired my parents to drive me around. and And it was really solving a problem. Somebody had fifty games, and I'd go buy all their games, and then I'd play the games, and I'd sell them off one at a time. So I was just it was just the wholesale retail model of squeezing the you know, the price difference between the two and fairly simple. I think we eBay is a great example of that. For me, it was Nintendo and it worked well because I wanted to play with the product anyway. So I think this is a great point to bring up. And I know we're probably going to get into real estate where you use those same terms. So, so those people that aren't familiar with this term wholesale and this term retail, can you just kind of fill them in? What does that mean? Yeah, so wholesale basically means you're gonna go to you're gonna go and buy things in bulk. That's the very common method where you buy like I was buying 50 Nintendo games at one time, and I buy them for at the time say 10 or 12 dollars each. And then people, the retail buyer, the person that goes into the store, instead of um, buying directly from a manufacturer, they're they're going directly to a store. They're walking into Walmart, and that's kind of what I was. I was the Walmart where somebody could buy one game at a time, and I was satisfying their need to get that experience of the one thing versus me. I was just out there buying in mass, like I was a I was a middleman that was that was storing things up in a warehouse. Well, it's kind of kind of like eBay before eBay was around, right? You know, essentially the the idea of of selling to the public, which is still, in many cases, below um, the price they might pay at a Walmart or a Target or whatever, right? Right, exactly the same thing. So, you built this five, or actually twenty million dollar net worth, I think you said, right, or five million dollar net worth, and and you lost it all. So, I would love to know how did you build your wealth? What what helped you do that initially? You mentioned going to seminars. Uh, what what did you do to put yourself in the position to build that net worth to begin with? Yeah, I mean, I was I was really like a lot of, if I, if I think about it, I was like a lot of uh, medical professionals where I started out in my early 20s and I had student debt. I had I didn't really have any cash and I just wanted to create wealth. So I read a, I read some books and I went to a seminar. I went to one of these things where you go and it's basically a pitch fest. You have all these speakers and they're selling their products. So I maxed out my credit cards buying their their ideas and their strategies. And then I went out and I was creative. So my very first real estate deal, I, I used my visa to buy the, the property. And that's that's part of the way to create wealth instead of doing the traditional method start thinking creatively i just took over somebody's property I they had somebody had a house for sale i put up six thousand dollars that um, i took off of my visa card and now i owned a house i took over their mortgage and i was a landlord more or less and that's i really did that over and over again to create the volume the mass in my portfolio and it, it wasn't, it, it was really my brain that was doing it because I didn't have cash. I didn't have a lot of borrowing ability, but I did have creative ability. And I think that that's one of the keys for anyone creating wealth because a lot of times we're, we're so buried in our own financial lives. We think I, I can't possibly start, but the truth is we can start if we're willing to be a little creative and think outside of the box that everybody tells us is what we're supposed to do and what we can do. So I'd love to dig into this a little bit more. So first, how did you find the property? Do you remember that very first one? 
Yeah, the, the first one, it was sort of funny because I had a friend of mine that had had read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and he said, I found a deal. And, and I think he was just driving around neighborhoods looking for looking for houses that were for sale by owner. I mean, it was really that simple. He found one, he talked to the lady and said, I want to buy your house, put it under contract. And then he told me about it. And, and then I ended up becoming what would be known as the money partner. I put up the, the cash from my visa and we were partners. And so it was, he was what's called a bird dog, more or less. He was out there hmm. scoping things out, looking for deals. And then he knew I was in, interested in getting involved in real estate. So he brought the deal to me and, and then he, he got to share the profits. So how did that work? So did both of you put up money then, or was it just you? Because you said you were kind of the money guy. So was it yeah, just you who, who did it? Was the mortgage in your name, his name, partnership? You know, what, what was that like? Yeah, so the, the way the deal was, he brought the deal in. So he was the, he was the one that found it, and he got to share half of the deal. So meaning he got half of the profits, and I put up all the money. And that's a very common thing for somebody looking for a deal. They find the deal, and then they find somebody that has money, and, and they become partners. The person with the money didn't go find the deal. They put up all the money. So I put up the, the cash, the $6,000, and then there was like a $100,000 mortgage that was already on the property, and I just took over payments. So I didn't go get a new uh, loan anywhere. I just took over payments from the original owner, and and then she t she signed the title over to me. So I owned the house, and I and then I, I took the mortgage. It's called buying a property subject to the mortgage in place, and, and that way I didn't have to go out to a bank and get financing because, quite frankly, I couldn't qualify. So it was kind of a form of owner financing then. Yes, definitely. It was, it was definitely you, owner financing. Did, did you have to write her a note then, you know, for the remainder equity in the place or what was that like? Yeah. So when, when we did the deal, I, I, I took over the, so the mortgage was say a hundred thousand and there was 6,000 in, in back payments because she was behind and she was happy to walk away. Mm -hmm. She wanted to be done with the property because she was going to lose it to foreclosure. So my purchase price was literally $106,000. It was, it was the combination of taking over the mortgage and putting up the back payments and that, and so she didn't want anything else. So that the note that I had to her was really the exact amount that was owed to the bank. So that I wasn't paying her, I was just paying the bank going forward directly. Got it. So, and was there equity in the place immediately then because of, of doing that deal? Yeah, help, there was- her out, obviously she, she, she got away from having to foreclose on the place and got a, um, I guess, did she, she didn't walk away with any cash then, I guess, out of the deal. I don't think she, she may have walked away with a thousand or two. It was, it was fairly small. She just wanted to save her credit and, and be done. Yeah. She was, she was trying to move. She was behind. I don't, I don't remember the circumstances 17 years ago, but uh, the, the reality is I solved her problem. And that's, that's what we have to keep in mind when we're doing these creative deals or real estate is we're, we're solving a problem. And, and so I, I solved that problem. The house was probably, if I was to put it on the market, it was worth maybe 115 or 120, which doesn't seem like a lot, but the way that I was structuring things back then, and, and it's definitely the same thing today, I, I was selling it on terms, which means that I was the bank. So somebody came to me and said, I want to buy the property. I don't want to go to the bank. And so I financed it. I was the, I was the owner carrying bank. Basically, they gave me a down payment of, of a few thousand dollars, and then they made payments to me. So the idea was that the payments to me would be more than my payments to the bank. And, and that's one of the ways that you can create wealth out of thin air because you can make up the value of the house. I think I sold it for, um, for $140,000 or $150,000 and you get to make it up because you're, you're creating value basically through the financing that you're putting in place for the new buyer that, that couldn't otherwise own a home. So that was, that was one of the ways that I was printing money like the Federal Reserve. It was my own little money printing machine. Well, it was a form of arbitrage, really, the Absolutely. idea that 
that you come in there and essentially you, um, same thing you were doing with this whole idea of retail versus wholesale from the Nintendo games, right? That's you right. know, you're, you're selling something at a higher price by buying it. In this case, it wasn't bulk, but you were, you were buying it at a, at a lower price. Um, so I, I would love to know, Damien, then it sounds like, did you stay with this partner then time after time after time and doing these deals and stuff? You know, it's funny, Dave, this guy came in and I, I went in and, and had to remodel the house because it was a mess. It was 60 years old and I didn't know anything about anything. I mean, I, I, the closest mm-hmm. I'd done is rebuild furniture as a kid in Alaska where I tore something apart, cut it in half, rescrewed it together. And that was my remodeling experience. So when I got this house, I had to learn how to, to plumb and paint and do electrical work. So I basically electrocuted myself, got super high off all the paint fumes, not opening the windows <laughs> and basically flooded myself out as pipes exploded underneath the sink. So I learned all this stuff, and when I started doing it, this this partner was too busy and couldn't be bothered. And I remember saying, "Hey, I've got to go fix the roof. I don't know how to do that. I've got to do these things." And he said, "It's not worth my time." And I went, "Okay." So I found out how valuable my partner was. He was basically worthless, and we were done with our business. And a lot of times, people get a little bit full of themselves, and I was getting dirty. And that's one of the valuable things that where you find success if you're willing to get dirty. And I, or finding a partner that's willing to get dirty. I was a great partner because I was out there doing what needed to get done. And he was the type of partner that you want to run from because he didn't really have any value after, after he handed off the deal. And, and then it became my little baby. And so I ran with it and, and then started doing more of those. So you, you bought more and more properties, you built up your net worth, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. So what, what happened that caused you to then lose all this money? Well, you know, when when I was doing this, one of the things that was was happening, it was very fortunate. Property values were going up, and I had cash flow, so I was my my payment to the bank on these properties because I was essentially building up a portfolio of rental properties. My my outflow was whatever it was. It was a thousand dollars a month, and then somebody comes in and they they're paying me thirteen hundred dollars a month. So I, I'm making a few hundred on each of these properties. And what I what I started doing was getting really impatient and a little bit too greedy, too fast. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was starting to sell off the equity. And without really getting into that and confusing the heck out of everybody, I was taking that $300 and essentially offering it to somebody selling off the cash flow, which means I was harvesting all my equity. And I was doing that because I wanted a lifestyle very quickly. And I think this can happen very, it often happens. And I've seen this with a lot of my physician friends where they, they want, they feel like they've worked so hard and they want to have a lifestyle very quickly and it ends up hurting them in the long term. And that's what I did. I ended up selling off the equity very quickly to get cash. And then I was out there buying my Ferrari and and having this great lifestyle. And I essentially killed off all of my trees that were growing in this garden. Instead of having all these fruit trees that I could harvest with the cash flow, I was just killing off the trees and and selling the wood. And it, it essentially made for a very soft foundation. I didn't have a solid foundation of, of equity and cash flow. So when the markets turned down, I was I was highly leveraged and um, I didn't have any real room to move. And so I basically lost everything because I was I was riding the edge too hard. I wasn't willing to be patient and allow these things to, to flourish and grow like a, a good gardener. I was out there hunting everything instead. Well, here, here's a, a great question. So it sounds like to me that the, the lesson for you was you, you weren't being conservative enough in your lifestyle, which for many residents and fellows as they're making fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, they transition to practice, all of a sudden they're making two hundred, maybe if they're in um, surgery, they're making five hundred thousand dollars a year. That n- not doing a lifestyle explosion, as I've heard James Dolly say, but a, a lifestyle creep is probably better. It sounds like you had a lifestyle explosion which uh, you, you weren't banking the dough at some point. 
No, I, I had an explosion of lifestyle all over me. I mean, it was a big old mess. And that's and, I th- and it's very easy to do that, especially and this this goes to one of the major lessons. It's really being conscious around who you're choosing to have close to you. And and I call this the Bucky Five in, in my book Reinvented Life, where I talk about the influences of the people that are close to us. And if if we're a, a resident and or a fellow or and we move into private practice or whatever it is, all of a sudden our income is a couple hundred thousand. All of our, our friends have a couple hundred thousand. We're hanging out with those people. We're going to start doing what they do. And if they're out there buying the 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 Bentley or the the you know the hundred thousand dollar Tesla or whatever it is, we're going to feel compelled to be like them. So it's really important to figure out who are those people that are acting as good stewards and good. They're they're being smart with their money and spend as much time as possible with them instead of the ones that just are having the lifestyle. And that's what I did. I spent a lot of time with very wealthy people that had huge lifestyles. They didn't necessarily have the best ethics, and so I started to become them which is why I ended up with my Ferrari and and the houses and all this other stuff. So just being conscious around who we are close to and the influence they're going to have on us is is super important. If people are saving money and investing it and that's what gets them excited, you're more likely to do that than if you're around people that are constantly traveling and, and having the big cars and the big, the big lives. Those things tend to be very depleting and very exhausting and they're not really great long-term. They just look good and feel good in the moment, but the fulfilling part is kind of missing out of that whole piece. Uh, because you're just you're in that rat race all the time. Well, I think this brings up a great question, um, which is those are all wonderful, wonderful points of of you are who you are around. And um, the the question I have for you as you were building this, you know, a lot of times, like in Kiyosaki's books, there's good debt, there's bad debt, and some folks feel that all debt is bad. And obviously, you you went through bankruptcy or or something like that, and now you're you're on the other side of it. How do you think about debt at this particular point? Do you ever see a point where being debt free is a good thing? You know, maybe you have to take some risk to get to a point where you no longer need debt. What, what do you think about that, Damien? I'd love to hear your thoughts on 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 debt from the lessons that you've had. It's funny because debt is truly a four-letter word for a lot of people, and it's and I I am of the same mindset that Grant Cardone talks about, where where he's going to go out and he wants he wants to use debt to to buy property, not to live in, but to rent out, because he wants to use debt to create assets and wealth. And the the misnomer is that we should go get the biggest house possible and get a bunch of debt, and because we get to write it off on our taxes, that's a smart move. That to me is a stupid idea because it locks you down. It doesn't give you flexibility. And that house, like Robert Kiyosaki says, is truly not an asset because it's not feeding you. It's eating you. And so if we think about debt that can be used to buy assets, and the most common form of that is is real estate, then we can start using it as a tool for us instead of being used against us. It's Debt is not in itself good or bad. It's just how we use it. And, and because money is being printed out of thin air and mo- our entire monetary system is based on on debt, it would make sense for us to use that system and not have it used against us. If we're saving money and the Federal Reserve is printing money, we're basically losing a, a game that we cannot win. We've got to f- get smarter and start using debt to our advantage because if you can go out there and borrow money like right now, 3 4 5% and have an asset that's going to pay you for the rest of your life, that makes a lot more sense than going out and just having a house that you're going to sit in and that's going to consume you that you have to work for every month. Well, I think those are all great points. And I guess my, my counter to that is I do believe that there is a point that we should be completely debt-free. Um, but 
when you're younger, you can take some of these risks. Um, just to give you an idea, in, in my practice here, which I've been very open and honest about this, is uh, back in 2008, August of 2008, I closed on a million dollar deal to make an acquisition uh, of, of clients and uh, financial planning clients. And of course, August 1st, 2008 was a really bad time. <laughs> <laughs> unknown to me to close <laughs> on that deal. Uh, so th there was an extremely painful lesson of which I leveraged up uh, to do. And at the time I was only 28 uh, and uh, or 27 going on 28 and had the, the ability to, to do that. Um, and so one of my major lessons from that was, you know, obviously I had time to recover, right? You know, that I have my whole working career ahead of me to to get it going. Um, but as I look at some physicians I've seen where they've leveraged up and now they have a lot of wealth, it's like if you've built it up, you know, now it's it's just a game, right? Where you don't have to have that leverage anymore, in my opinion, that maybe at some point as you get closer to retirement, that leverage is a form of risk. So for, uh, you probably want to deleverage so that every dollar that comes in is profit rather than having to worry about whether the tenant's going to stick around or whatever. What do you think about that? I think it's a great point, and I think that there's there's something that is is lost on people. I certainly didn't realize this when I was in my 20s building things up, the, that there is value in the peace of mind with the things that aren't leveraged extremely tight. So. The, the the more you deleverage and what you're talking about going debt free is just deleveraging and doing that you get to a point where you you don't really care what the market does if if you have rental property or you've got it doesn't matter what happens to your house if your house if the market collapses your house is it drops in half or your rental properties the rental income it crashes you don't care as much because the debt isn't isn't there to that you have to support so i i, I agree that as you get older and i know that a lot of wealthy people that I've been friends with over the years that are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, they like the idea of having less and less debt because when they wake up, it's less anxiety around what's going on and, and it is a, it's a calmer way of investing. Debt is a powerful tool, but I think that there's a gradual release of it as you get older that makes sense for a lot of people based on exactly what you're saying. It just, it's, a, it's a sounder strategy and, and as long as you can create your investments to where that they make sense doing it, I love the idea of eventually deleveraging and and just having that real simple cash flow without well, the debt. I'd love to know now, Damien, with with your experience, how are you tracking kind of your financial freedom, having been through what you've been through and now rebuilding your wealth? I'm guessing doing much of the same. Um, how, how are you tracking your progress towards that? You know, what does that look like for you? Well, what, the, the way that I'm, I'm tracking it's a little different than I was in the in the past. In the past, it was really just more. So I was thinking if I have 10 more houses or 100 more houses or more apartment complexes, that's that's my wealth. And I used to think of billionaires and even millionaires, but I would look at the big the big numbers, the, the E&Rs. I would look at that as a number of dollars in, in my bank account. The way I look at it now, I look at the idea of, of somebody that's a billionaire, which is my my goal. It's it's impacting a billion people. So it's a different it's a different focus. And before the money was the focus, it was the mission, it was the outcome. And now the focus is on the impact I'm having with people. So for me to guide people and inspire them to have control of their wealth, control of their financial freedom and their and their future, 
the more people that I do that for and with, the more wealth I create. And so the side effect is is the money. It's it's the dollars in the bank account. It's a different focus. The more people I touch and impact, the happier I am, the more fulfilled I am. And the ironic thing is the wealth comes in in a bigger, more profound way as a side effect. So that's how I'm tracking it. How many people are part of my my world, my ecosystem? How many people are paying attention to what I'm saying? How many people are becoming free and saying thank you for helping get off, get me off that roller coaster that I was on and in my previous life where I just watched the 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 stock market go up and down every day and it was chaos and so that's the that's how I'm looking at wealth now it's not just another unit that's just more of a side effect the more people I impact interesting no, I love that that's that's great and a great great mission to have and I've mentioned from time to time that many of our listeners that that uh, they like a business education I think you've done a wonderful job of bringing some mentorship to us here today and some of your own wisdom and your own knowledge. And I just love to hear a parting, couple parting thoughts from you. What do you think the best business lesson is that you can pass on to doctors today? Best business lesson is to make sure that you have people that have been there in the trenches that have scars, blood, tears, and mud all over them that you're listening to. And even though there's, there's a sense that um, of of intelligence and physicians, there's no doubt, are some of the smartest people in the world. Make sure that you have people around you that have been out there that are truly speaking from experience so that you're not going out there and letting your ego get you in trouble. I know what that's like and it's dangerous and it's expensive. And to, to really make sure that people are surrounding you that are giving you legitimate, honest feedback and, and you, you're listening to them. And then owning the results and not, not abdicating or, or punting and, and getting in the game. I mean, that's really what this is all about. It's about getting in the game and building the confidence by doing things uh, and, and be, becoming educated from people that have actually done it, not just the academics that are teaching <laughs> from theory. And, and so that's, I mean, that's, that's really why I wrote the books I did around the real estate and the EQRP. It was to hand off that type of education and, and empower people so that they can make rational decisions. And I mean, that's, that's, that's my gift to people is, is to, to take that wisdom and then make your own decision because I think you're smart enough to make the best decision for you. You don't need somebody else making it for you. And, and I, I, th- I would start That's there. That's great. No, thank you so much for that. And obviously, I could talk forever about all this stuff, but uh, I want to respect people's time, our listeners' valuable time. Do you have any closing thoughts, Damien, you want to pass on to the audience? Yeah, I, I would. I would love people to uh, visit, and, and I would love to give people a copy of, of the book and, and give that to them so that they can and the things that we've been talking about and just and hand it to them um, if that's if, if if people want that. I'd love to share that and, and and put a link on on our site for people to be able to grab a copy of the book for free if that's if that's yeah, okay absolutely. with you. Where can they where can they find that? So if if people want to visit totalcontrolfinancial.com forward slash Dave. I'll, I'll have a, a link there where people can grab a copy of the book and, and I'll send it out to you. It's on me and, and see if it's a good fit for you. But I think education is, is the biggest thing and, and learning more about it is, is the valuable piece um, that I can offer to people. And, and just you know, grab it and, and see, see if it resonates with you. But uh, that's it. Just go, go visit totalcontrolfinancial.com forward slash Dave, and I'll, I'll have a link there for everybody. Perfect. We'll include that in the show notes as well, so everyone can just click on it if they're uh, in iTunes and check that out. And Damien, if people have more questions, they want to get in contact with you uh, personally, where can they best find you? 
I am everywhere. But the funny part is the the best place to go. I mean, it's 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 funny because we you know with the social media and everything, we are all over the place. Uh, best place to reach me is is definitely LinkedIn. I love when people will send me a, a an actual message, not just a, a blast, but send me a message. You're likely to get a video response. I will definitely reach back out to you. I love when people say, "Hey, I'm interested. I want to learn." It just makes me all happy. So please reach out to me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Damien. And uh, if you are a physician or if you're someone servicing physicians and you want to add value to the audience, you want to grapple with tough issues and interesting ideas like Damien brought today, I'd love to share it in the next Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Make sure to contact me, Dave, at drfreedompodcast.com or on my website, www.drfreedompodcast.com. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Denniston. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, my friends, make sure to cut your debt, cut your taxes, and live a little bit lifestyle. Talk to you next time.